2: It is Thursday, 1 o'clock, and you are tuned in to the Heritage Radio Network. You're listening to The Farm Report, brought to you by me, Erin Fairbanks, your host. We're coming to you live from the back of Roberta's in Bushwick, Brooklyn, on this gorgeous 66 degree March day. Guess it's really coming in like a lamb this year. Hopefully, it will not go out like a lion. Mm. We are on the line today with Jean Hodesh of Grow NYC. Jean, welcome to the show.
1: Hi, thanks for having me.
2: So we, I am excited to tuck into a little bit of a market update, what we can expect um, for the spring and summer, and maybe a little recap of what uh, happened over the winter. But before we tuck in, I was hoping you could tell us a little bit about, you know, why uh, green markets is different than Grow NYC, or what the relationship is there, okay. and then what exactly kind of your position is. Oh, okay.
1: The land will land, No problem. So Green Market is one of four programs at Grow NYC. Grow NYC is sort of our parent nonprofit organization. So in addition to Green Market, we have an open space greening program, an environmental education program. Um, we have a school gardens program and a recycling program. So all kinds of different activities are happening over here in Green Market. It's just one piece of the puzzle. Um, And then my position within that, I'm sort of the, I think my technical title is publicity coordinator, but uh, I liaise with press. So anytime someone's interested in covering what's fresh at the market, then I'll go back and forth with them about um, what different farmers are growing and what people might want to be looking out for these days.
2: Awesome. Well, that is exactly what we want to find out today on the show. Um, I do want to talk a little bit about um, the weather. Mm-hmm. It's gorgeous today.
1: Mm-hmm. Um, unseasonable. <laughs> a
2: little unseasonable, as has been you know, much of the winter. And we, you know, we've know we had a few producers on in the last couple of shows who, who have mentioned how that's impacted them. But I was wondering if you had gotten a sense from... Uh, farmers at the market more generally, uh, whether the warm weather was a a thumbs up or a thumbs down or maybe how it differed depending on what you were producing.
1: Mm -hmm. Um, I think the way that we've experienced the weather here in the city is that it's been great for traffic in the market. No one's been afraid to um, patronize the vendors through the winter because it hasn't been cold so that doesn't impede people from going outside to shop. Um, So which has been, you know, last fall was a really tough time for Um, a a lot of farmers in the program because so many of them were affected by um, the hurricane and tropical storms in September. So for them to be able to have strong winter sales at the market throughout um, the theoretically colder months has been a real boon to their business. Um, So, but, you know, what we've seen for sale is a lot of stuff from greenhouses, um, which is kind of typical through the winter. Um, But it's great when you have, you know, a strong customer base to be there to buy, you know, the shoots and sprouts and microgreens that are coming up. Um, And then, you know, it's spring come early at the market right now. So I went in yesterday and uh, I was at Union Square and there were pussy willow branches. There were tulips. There were cherry tree blossoms um, and I don't know. I know I'm supposed to be scared because of global warming, but it's still a really exciting change in the season that happens every year.
2: Yeah, the signs of spring yeah. are happening. So, yeah. as we you know make that transition out of winter and into spring, I mean, you mentioned some of the stuff that you saw at market this past week. But what um, what would you say are some of the first co- crops of spring that we yeah. should be on the lookout for? And do yeah. you have a sense from farmers when um, you know when we can expect to see some of that?
1: Yeah, so there are some exciting things afoot. So uh, I was talking, I think it was the week before last, with David Rowley of Monkshood Nursery, who has been doing great business selling shoots from his um, greenhouses all winter. And so he's got, you know, mung bean shoots and radish shoots, and we have different farmers who bring in sprouts, which I always appreciate through the winter because then you can have some greens in your diet. Um, But I said, what's the first thing to come up outside the greenhouses? And he said, oh, it's garlic. And I said, and when can we expect to see that? And he was like, it's already coming up. So it's early, but uh, it's happening. And I've seen actually just one vendor who has a little bit on offer at their stand, um, really thin, thin little bundles. So that'll be one of the first things to come in. And then uh, the other products that I always really look forward to seeing in March is the new Maple Syrup. And so I always feel like March is this really long month and it's kind of frustrating because you're so ready for winter to be over and you just want spring to start. And um, I always feel like really conflicted in March personally. And then I was talking to one of our maple producers last year and she was like, well, that's the whole great thing about maple syrup production is that you want it to be cold at night, but then when it's warm during the day, that's when the sap starts to run up and down the trees. And that's when you can tap for maple syrup. Um, and so I saw that farmer at our annual meeting the other day, Stefan Cantor from Deep Mountain Maple, and I said, oh, my God, how's the weather been up there? Your tree's going to be okay. And she said, it's been nice and cold, and it's going to start warming up. So they're in great shape. The weather hasn't affected their production so far, and they expect the, the new staff to start running as um, all goes well, I guess this week and next, and that we would have new syrup in the market um, maybe the week after next.
2: Oh, that's exciting. I think it's always interesting to get, you know, maple syrup is one of those products. You're like, oh, maple syrup tastes like maple syrup. And, and to get a chance to delve a little bit deeper into mm-hmm. something like that and uh, where, where there's that overlap where you can kind of taste the 2011 season mm-hmm. against the 2012 and start mm-hmm. to d- dig into a little bit more about what makes a great syrup great, but then also how it, the weather really impacts um, – the, the flavor and, and the texture and the content from year to year. So Completely. definitely looking forward to that. So, maple syrup, garlic, what else?
1: Uh, and then I just talked to Lynn Fleming from Lynn Haven. She's a goat cheese producer. And I'd heard a rumor that she had birthed the other day like 105 kids all at once. And I went up to her and I said, is that number true? And she said, 105? No, it was 150. Oh, my gosh. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> um, she said, but it's great because we were so low on, on our product. We were, we were all out of our feta cheese. We were really low on Chev. I just had enough to get to our really big customers at 11 Madison Park and ABC Kitchen. And now, all of a sudden, her her cheese production is really, you know, it's back where she wants it to be so she can meet the demand at the market. Um, so...
2: That's, I mean, that's great. I mean, goat is something we've been talking about a lot Mm -hmm. here at the radio, just, you know, bouncing off of our No Goat Left Behind Mm -hmm. project, which happens in October. But Mm -hmm. I think so, so many interesting things about goats. I mean, you mentioned that 150 number. It's like most goats have twins or Mm -hmm. triplets oh I didn't know that yeah so 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 it's like every year you're you're getting you know your herd size can essentially have the potential to double um but then also that you know if you're a cheese producer what you're really after is is the milk and to Mm -hmm. get milk you need to have babies right and and I know that uh you know one of the things that's so great about her work is and her, her having the market at green market is she's really be able to have this outlet for her cheese, but also she, you know, I've talked to her over the years, has really no problem getting rid of her goat meat and bringing that yeah. in and really having, um, you know, one market where she can sell both ends of what it takes to, to produce those great things. So that's exciting. Exactly.
1: And that's always one of my favorite things to, to promote in the winter, too. People are always asking me what's new. They always, the, the most common question I get in the winter is, oh, but, you know, what else is at the market? It's just apples, onions through the winter. And I'm like, no, there's so many exciting things. And one of, one of my favorites to talk about is, Um, the goat meat that you see in the winter just because it's a different taste that you might not think about you know when there's an abundance of other products through the year but we had lynn sells a lot of goat meat and then we've also had um, goat sausages at artist may and consider bardwell so i think someone has a chorizo sausage and then there's sweet and mild sauces also sausages also sorry so um so that's you know Delicious
2: and exciting, yeah, and, and can be a nice chance to to step outside your protein box a little yeah. bit. Um, well, well, we're on the subject of meat. I was wondering if you could speak that speak to that a little. I mean, I I know kind of just walking through the market that you do see goat and you see seem to see like beef and pork year round. Um, but what about you know chicken and duck and is do you guys notice um, when like you're looking to put together different markets having a a challenge getting regionally produced. Um, you know, meats of all types available year-round, or are there some that just aren't around in the winter?
1: Hmm, that's a good question. I mean, I think that, you know, when we put together markets, we try to have a good selection of all the different products that represent the producers in the program. So we want to make sure that people have the opportunity to to get cheese and vegetable and protein, you know, orchard fruit and all of this. Um, So... In terms of seasonally, what's available, I mean, I think that the protein producers are, you know, at the market year-round and their product varies and, you know, it's just kind of a matter of having the conversation about where they're at in their cycle right now. So, um, you know, and then it's also, like, I was talking with um, Wilkwo Orchards the other day and, like, they have um, amazing, amazing heirloom tomatoes. And they also sell really amazing bacon, but the way that the cycle of their farm works, I never seem to be able to get bacon and tomatoes from them at the same (laughs) moment to get DLTs that are like all Wilco orchards, you know. So, so that's fine. So then I go and I buy my bacon from somebody else. But um, so it's interesting. I mean, it's you kind of have to walk around and engage and have that conversation. And you know, whenever I talk to any of the farmers, I always learn something. I always, you know, that's the greatest way to end up buying something that i haven't tried before um
2: is to have a chat yeah and i would say i think it's also one of those things that you know to push yourself to think about you know really all things as being you know tied to a season especially here in the northeast you know i think there is this idea that okay we kind of get that asparagus happens in the spring and tomatoes happen late summer and then squashes in the fall but but also that you know live chickens and, and ducks and, and beef, cattle, you know, everything kind of is following some cycle. So mm-hmm. I think it can be a really interesting opportunity to engage in what those cycles are and then also how they might be different from farm to farm. And mm-hmm. I know at Green Market, you guys do have some pretty big shifts that happen between kind of the spring, summer, fall season and the winter season. I mean, there there are fewer markets in the winter than, mm-hmm. than the other seasons. And can you talk about what that schedule is? Sure.
1: So we've got, uh, at the peak of the season, we have about 53 markets open and all over the city, all five boroughs. And then from about the end of November to, say, the beginning of April, they'll start coming back. We shrink down to about 21 markets. Um, so, you know, Grand Army Plaza is open year-round. Union Square is always open year-round, four days a week. Um, and then in April we hire market managers, and they start to open up again, and in the winter, a lot of farmers uh, end up going on vacation for a little bit, which is great, because we know how hard they work, um, so it's always really exciting in April to see, even at the markets that are open year-round, they'll shrink down a bit, so um, it's always exciting when you start to see the farmers coming back from wherever they were in the winter, and, you know, not just the products that they bring, but just nice to see those familiar faces again, reinvigorated, invigorated, ready to start a new season, um, and that's all just about to start happening, which is
2: great. Cool. So the more summer markets, we can look to start opening sometime in April or more towards the end?
1: Yeah, all those markets are going to start opening from, say, the beginning of April through the middle of July. So it's about 30 markets will reopen between That window, Um, and we have a full list of all our markets on our website that also details out their opening dates. If you're looking for the one that's in your neighborhood and you're not sure when it's going to reopen,
2: excellent. And I know also you can usually, you guys are usually. I think you mentioned this, looking to hire market managers. Mm -hmm. I think uh, you know the more I kind of travel through different food circles in the city, it seems like almost everyone that I really respect and admire was at one time a market manager for Grow NYC. So amazing. uh, (laughs) Applications are up for those positions as well. Um, I think that they are online already. Also,
1: I don't want to misspeak. Maybe I'll check the website just as I'm on the phone with you. Um,
2: cool. but, um Well, speaking of the website, I mean, I think one of the interesting things as we move into kind of this new social media age is the advent of kind of real-time information sharing through Facebook and Twitter. And I'm wondering, like, how has, uh, you know, Growing YC or Green Markets – embrace this technology how are they using it and yeah. and how can people maybe find out a little bit more kind of in the moment what's sure. happening
1: it's a great question first of all i checked our market manager positions are up online i know um, so people can check them out um and yeah we have you know tried to wade right into the social media um year like everybody else and it's been really interesting because of course we have these community centers of activity at our markets. Neighbors come out and come together and you can do your textile recycling, you can compost at a lot of our markets, you know, as well as fill up your shopping bags. So we like to think of our markets as centers of sustainability. And we look to social media to figure out, you know, how can we kind of emulate that sense of community online and have that, you know, presence online help feed the energy at the markets, you know, when they're held once a week or on the weekends. Um, And so it's great. So we have, you know, a Facebook page for Grow NYC, but also one for Union Square Green Market, one for Grand Army Plaza. So we have them divided kind of regionally, um, and then we also have Twitter handles that are divided more or less regionally. Um, And if you follow us, if you go to our website, there's a list of all the different Facebook pages and Twitter handles that you can follow, and I encourage people to sign up. But that's where we post information about our upcoming special events, um, we have encouraged a lot of our farmers to get online as well, and so many of them also have Facebook and Twitter, and they'll tweet out, like, we have strawberries for the first time today, and, you know, people who follow <laughs> them get will here. be at the market before they're <laughs> even off the truck. It's amazing. So it's like a very up-to-date uh, way to find out about exactly what's going to be fresh that day. Or if, say, the milk producer can't make it in, And you're following them on Facebook, then maybe you'll see their post and you won't bring your bottles to return them because the milk producer won't be there. So um, for us, it's a really, you know, they're temporary marketplaces. So to be able to have that mouse piece is fantastic. That's
2: awesome. We are going to take a quick break. And while we do, you guys can log on to check out the Grow NYC uh, website at www.grownyc.org. And we'll bring uh, Jean back in just a moment to talk a little bit more about some of those upcoming events. Great, thanks. In time like this.
1: HeritageRadioNetwork.com, we'd like to send a special thank you to the Hearst Ranch, our biggest supporter and longest-running sponsor since we first started in 2009.
0: Hearst Ranch is the nation's largest single-source supplier of free-range, all-natural, grass-fed, and grass-finished beef. Since 1865, the Hearst
2: All right. We are back on the line with Jean Hodesh, the publicity coordinator for Grow NYC Green Markets. Jean, so before the break, we were kind of talking a little bit about what's happening at the markets and the, you know, your use of social media and updates as far as events go. So I was wondering if you can give us a heads up on stuff we should be looking for. Yeah.
1: Absolutely. So, So um, next week we have a great event coming up at the Astor Center that is called our Home Bakers Meetup and also Grain to Glass Pop-Up Bar. So it's going to be, we had a Home Bakers Meetup a couple of years ago because um, June Russell, who is our Farm Inspections Manager, uh, has taken on the work of kind of expanding um, Grains that are being grown in our region. So she's been working with farmers both to get them to grow more grain but also working with them to figure out what types of grains grow well in our region. And then now that we've had them and they're coming into the market and we see them as whole grains and also as flour, um, introducing them to people because we've got things like spelt flour and people might not know quite what to do with it. So um, we are having our, our second Home Bakers Meetup and the first one was really fun. It was all of these people showed up. It's free if you bring a loaf of bread that you've baked with local flour. <laughs> so you just, all these people show up with their loaves of bread. And last I heard, I think our RSVP list is at like 50 people. So it's a lot of bread to try. Nice. So it's fun because bring everyone a big kind <laughs> of lines up and gets to talk to one another and they're all enthusiastic bakers. So, you know, it's a certain mindset. They're all kind of locked into these very specific details and as you know, baking is a very scientific process, so there's a lot to discuss about um, how the different flours react and how, how to get a good crumb, how to get a good crust, um, and the way all of these different flours taste also. Um, totally different than King Arthur flour, as it turns out. So uh, we're going to have a lot of loaves for people to try. Everyone should come and help us eat them. Um, And then we're going to have some professional bakers that are also using this local flour in their loaves. Um, So Peter Endress from Runner and Stone Bakery will be there, or Washers will be there, Bread Alone will be there. Um, And then it'll be nice for the home bakers. If they have questions about how to improve their technique, they can kind of ask those bakers about what they're doing. Um, And then there are also, you know, a number of distilleries that are popping up. Um, that are turning to regional grains as well lately. So we're going to have cocktails featuring Tuttletown spirits and also New York Distilling Company. So should wow.
2: be great fun Tuesday. <laughs> yeah. And
1: if you don't have time to bake a loaf of bread, tickets are only fifteen bucks. So I encourage everyone to come join the party. It should there be really are fun. no
2: excuses.
1: No, <laughs> there are no excuses useless. now. <laughs>
2: um, cool. So the home home bakers meetup that's happening next week. Um, I also saw, just kind of perusing the website before the show, I wonder if you could talk about, um, you know, every spring, you know, people in New York City who have a community garden plot mm-hmm. or even a windowsill mm-hmm. are, are usually, I don't know myself, kind of looking to stock their, their garden plot or their, their flower pot. And do you, does the market have any kind of events going on with regards to, you know, mm-hmm. seedlings or plant stock? Um, yeah.
1: Yeah, well, two things come to mind. First of all, there's making Brooklyn Bloom, which is happening this weekend, so we'll have a table there. So that's, you know, a nice community event, Um, and well, you know, that's not necessarily our farmers. It's certainly a great place to go and stock up on materials. And then um, there are live plants at the market now that you can go and start to think about how you want to plant your window box. I saw them yesterday, and I got a lot of ideas for my teeny tiny window boxes. <laughs> um, and then we've got the Open Space Screening Program, which is one of our sister programs at Grow NYC. They have an annual plant sale every year. And if you go on our website to, I think the tab is Gardens, you'll find information. So basically it's um, a plant sale for community groups, churches, schools, um, and community gardens to place orders with farmers who participate in Green Market to buy plants from them at wholesale value. And then there are a couple pickup days um, in the Hattie Carthen Garden. So that's great if you're trying to figure out if you want to, you know, set something up at your community garden or, um, you know, at your
2: school or... Or even uh, just your neighborhood. In your neighborhood, yes. Yeah. Yeah. So you can go
1: online and check out the information on that. But that's a really fun event in the spring as well.
2: Awesome. That sounds great. Uh, one of the other things I noticed was you guys have just put out a pretty like hefty rep- report, a farmland mm-hmm. report. So maybe mm-hmm. you can give us an update on, on what that is.
1: Sure. The farmland retention report. Um, so about a year ago, we administered a survey to our farmers and we had a really terrific um, response rate, which was great. Just to figure out a little bit more about um, what their needs are in terms of do they own land? Are they renting land? Um, and sort of the challenges that access to land pose for people who want to farm, because as you know, in this region, farmland is really expensive. Um, but then there's also the question of how to preserve farmland. If you have it, how to preserve it, keep it in farming, and save it from being developed, um, because developers are willing to pay top dollar for those acres to put up houses. So. It's a really interesting report, and it just kind of, you know, verifies some facts about um, how many of our farmers own land, how many are renting. A lot of them are doing a combination of both. Um, and then, you know, once you – you know, one of the things that came to light when I was looking at the report is if you don't own your land, you know, there are only so many investments that you're going to make in a piece of land that you're renting from somebody else. So if you think about farmers really wanting to grow their businesses – and invest in the future of their small family farm business. Um, owning is certainly preferable to renting, but uh, that's a, a big leap between the two financially for a lot of people. So we're just hoping to bring to light um, some of those issues and then thinking about how, how can we, now that we have this information, take the next step um, to help the farmers in the region you know, prosper and do well and, and keep growing the food that we love so much. Um, so... There's more information about it on the website. And we had one of our Educated Eater panel discussion series last fall focused on the report. Um, And I think that we'll be doing another panel discussion this coming fall about farmland in the region and um, kind of the state of affairs where we are right now. Yeah.
2: Well, Um, I think, I mean, what was so great to me about the report is it kind of really elucidated a lot of the issues that, you know, might not be totally obvious with regards to what makes it challenging to to have a, a farming business. And I think also really speaks to the core uh, of green markets and why green market is different from other market systems across the country and that you guys are a producer only market. So uh-huh. you, you know, there are kind of requirements to get into market, but also you're really serving this kind of twofold mission where our um, you know, on one hand, you're looking to serve populate, urban, urban populations in New York City, creating food access, but mm-hmm. also, you know, supporting a broader kind of regional economy mm-hmm. and and securing that food supply. So it's nice to, to get a chance to, I don't know, delve a little more deeply into some of the ways that people can get engaged with that issue, aside from just showing up uh, at the market and buying stuff, which I think is right. always like for me, the most fun way to. Right,
1: right. Well, it's interesting. I mean, we live in New York. We don't see open land really, unless you're getting out of the city often. And so even though you might know your farmer at market really well, um, it's hard, I think, for a lot of New Yorkers to really see them and think about the acres behind, you know, the farm stands. Behind the farm you know. stands,
2: sure. Um, and then, well, let's talk, I mean, you guys are uh, a non-for-profit. I want to talk a little bit about Um, You know some funding events that you have. Two things. One, I know you guys have just put out kind of this beautiful calendar, and then I was wondering, and maybe it's too soon, but if you could give us any uh, info with regards of the the Taste of Green Market.
1: Oh yeah. Well, the calendar is for sale, um, and it's for sale. People should buy it. It's great. (laughs) (laughs) Um, And Days to Green Market is coming up. It's going to be on June 27th, and it'll be in Manhattan. Although. We haven't announced the space where it will be just yet. But um, this is the fifth year that we've had the event, and I expect it will be really lovely again. It's um, always a, a terrific collection of the chefs who shop at the market all the time um, and really build their menus around what's available seasonally. And when I talk to them, as they're putting their menus together for the tasting items that they'll bring to the event, they always just, you know, they know the farmers by name and um, You know, as hardworking businessmen, business people themselves, uh, the chefs and farmers have a great deal of respect for one another. So it's a really nice, um, you know, event that brings our community together. So it'll be on June 27th, and um, tickets will be for sale soon, but you can mark your calendars now.
2: Oh, awesome. I think it's, like, always one of my favorite events of the year. I mean, just kind of what a great chance to go to one spot and get to taste food from, like, all of the city's best restaurants and hobnob with the fancy folks of Green Market. Um,
1: yeah. Plus, the farmers come, <laughs> a lot of them, yeah. which is always really fun because they're not, you know, at work. <laughs> they get to hang out for a minute, and you can, you know, have nice chats with them.
2: So um, we are just about out of time, but I wanted to get your thoughts on um, one more question. Um, you know, two... To on eggs, basically. Oh, yeah. um, so I know that the I've seen at the Union Square Market, they're starting to sell emu eggs. Mm-hmm. And then also our Akana eggs are a big thing that you're seeing around. And so I mm-hmm. wondered if you could tell us a little bit about what the difference is and um, maybe some thoughts on use for those.
1: Sure. I was actually going to talk about both of those before. They are in season and coming in now, and they're both gorgeous. Um, and the the emu eggs... I mean, my mom's an artist. She came to visit last year, and she was like, that's what I want for Mother's Day. She just wanted one to put on display. And, in fact, you can get them, you know, to cook with, and it'll serve, um, I think I saw, I think it's like the equivalent of about eight eggs, one wow. emu egg. And I think they sell for about $15 apiece. So you kind of need someone to help you eat it all. Um, but they also sell them hollowed out, so you can just have them on display, which is, they're beautiful. Um, and then the Arcana eggs are... Um, smaller, kind of the normal size that you would see, that you're used to seeing. But they're the most beautiful array of colors, and they're so delicious, and we have a number of farmers who sell them. But I also, I like to blow them out and then just save the shells. I was talking to Kira Kinney from Evolutionary Organics the other day, and uh, I bought a dozen of her really, really gorgeous Arcana eggs, and I was like, I just want the shells. And she said, I do exactly the same thing. Um, So decorative purposes as well as eating purposes. they're good for both Excellent. and um, they're here now.
2: And yeah, so I mean, I think one of the that's like the color I think is like one of, I think actually Martha Stewart. Named a whole you know line of items after their you know their aracona is like a color of paint you can buy now or Martha Sewer sheets because it's like this beautiful kind of pale it's like green light blue green blue. Blue. yeah 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 so gorgeous so definitely um, check those out at the market Jean thank you so much for coming on today and giving us a heads up on what's going down with green markets it was lovely to have you thanks for having me happy and, spring thank you thanks uh, and tune in next week we have Laura Uh, of Hemlock Hill Farm on to talk about beef. It's what's for dinner.
1: Thanks for listening to this program on the Heritage Radio Network. You can find all of our archived programs on heritageradionetwork.com as well as a schedule of upcoming live shows. You can also podcast all of our programs on iTunes by searching Heritage Radio Network in the iTunes store. You can find us on Facebook and follow us on Twitter for up-to-date news and information. Thanks for listening.